You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Take your scriptures and find the book of Philippians again. Perhaps by now, but by the end, your Bible will just kind of fall open there to Philippians. This will be enough or make that crease so it just comes easy, Philippians. Find that book. We're going to be in verses uh, 15 through 18, most of 18, not all of 18 today, but we'll, we'll read from verse 12. So Philippians 1, verse 12 is where I'll start, and then we'll, we'll really be studying verse 15 through 18. While you're going there, I've got a picture from last week. Where is Otto today? Is Otto in the nursery? Otto, I hope you can hear me over the speaker. I got a picture of yours up front here. And he explained it. I have the interpretation. So, uh, although I don't know which side. One is a truck and one is a tractor, and he could tell you which one. But Otto drew this for me last week, and I don't know that I've gotten a picture from Otto. So he drew me a tractor and a truck. I'm thankful. Thankful for you kids being here and drawing stuff. Um, I think I told someone maybe last week, adults, if you want to draw a picture anonymously, and it's art, and you're just into that, you hear stuff, just send it in anonymously, I take emails, whatever, but do that. All right. Well, we were in verse 12 last week, and kind of just making this, oh, a series out of this, this little section here of, of that in every way Christ is proclaimed, and looking at the advance of the gospel. We'll read about that again, and then get into our, te- our specific text for the day. So verse 12, Philippians chapter 1, here's what God's Word says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and do all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let me pray again. Lord, as we come to Your Word, again, Lord, recognizing this is Your Word, what will follow is commentary, looking on it. And I pray it's, it's, it's blessed by you, Lord, that, that whatever is of air, Lord, would fall again, Lord, as we pray, to deaf ears. Whatever truth there is to point back to you and your glory and the glories of Christ, then, Lord, work that in the hearts. Who is sufficient, Lord? You are. Your Spirit is sufficient to reveal your Word. Help us now in our time together here to enjoy this time to understand a little more of what you've said and then apply it in our own lives. Lord, that we would not just look on this as a good word for the day and move on. Um, Even though, Lord, I know our our feeble, finite minds, Lord, will, will forget. We just pray that you would drive your truths, the truths of Jesus Christ, into our lives uh, as we live. So guide our time by your Spirit to lead us in your name. Amen. I want to just start off asking you a question based on this text. So we're looking textually right here before us. So just starting off with a question. You don't have to answer it out loud. 
But if I ask the question in this text, specifically 15 through 18, what gives Paul joy based on these verses, what would your answer be? You don't have to say it out loud, but just look there. I'll give a little time to look. What gives Paul joy? What is, what is he rejoicing? I'll give you a little hint. Near the end, it says, and in that I rejoice. It'll help you a little bit if you're there. And you probably see it there. If you say that Christ is proclaimed, that Christ is proclaimed, that's what gives Paul joy. His joy here is directly connected to the proclamation of Christ. And we saw this last week. Paul, he's in prison. He's in bondage, chains. And though it would be real tempting to look at this situation, look at these chains and, and, and look at this and say, man, what, what happened to Paul, poor guy? Or maybe get upset. Look at this government. I mean, they, they put him here. He's, he's in these chains. And yet he says that what's happened to me has, has rather served to advance the gospel. Because Paul had set his eyes on Jesus in his chains. And even here, we're going to get into this, but, but even here, the, the, the word of Christ is preached by some pretty self-centered, envious, rivalry-prone. They want to inflict punishment even on Paul. And yet even in that, with those people, Paul's rejoicing in Christ. So today we're going to look at this situation that, that on the outside, again, we just, if we're just kind of plowing through reading, and we didn't hear Paul's commentary on it, this situation, we would look at it and say, here's another hopeless, terrible situation for Paul. He's even got people preaching out of rivalry. They, they, they even preach and want to inflict harm on him. And yet, just Paul just turns it around and says, I don't care. Christ is being proclaimed. And so we want to look at this a little bit. We want to have Paul's view on this, which is a view towards Christ. And this view of Christ, as we're learning, we're going to see next week and I think throughout the book, he has a view of Christ that informs and governs everything else of Paul's life. It kind of shapes, you could say, his worldview of how he views things. He views them through Christ. It's not just this bad thing and that unfortunate thing. It's Christ before him. So as we get into our text today, I'm asking just three questions of the text. Sometimes we go through verse by verse. We'll, we'll kind of do that. We'll, we'll skip around a bit. But asking three questions of the text today for, for me to uh, answer or attempt to answer. One, maybe a harder one. First one is, who is Paul referring to uh, as those who preach Christ out of envy and rivalry? There's a, there's a group doing this. Who is that? We'll try to define who's the group here that's preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. Number two question, what motives are driving these groups? That's maybe easier based on the text, but we'll look at those. What's their motives of these that preach Christ? And then three, what's Paul's greatest concern? And, and hopefully by this point in the sermon, you can answer that question already. That's okay. We we'll just keep coming back. If we come away with that, that's wonderful. What's his greatest concern? So let's look back. Let's just start in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Some preach Christ this way, and then there's, you've got the word others, if you're ESV, others from goodwill. So question here as we start out, who are these people? Who's doing this? 
And it's an answer that might not be so easy to get at. We have some clues from the text, but surprise, surprise, commentators differ on who this is. We're not going to go into all of them, but a couple of them. Perhaps maybe you are like me, and my first inclination when I read something, somebody's preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, is to kind of think of that classic enemy of Paul, the Jews or the Judaizers. Is this the Jews here? I mean, they were, they were in a sense, they were behind Paul's imprisonment in the first place. They, they even uh, opposed the Lord Jesus Christ out of envy. So was it them? Is, this, is he talking about some of the, the Jews are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry? But I think here, this is where context, if we say context is king and helps, we know the Lord is king, it's a, it's a way of saying grammar, all right? Context helps us. If you look back at what we studied last week, and I think I mentioned last week, I guess that most of the brothers, well, maybe not all, maybe some were, some were uh, afraid, that sort of idea. But verse 14, you've got this, this word, most of the brothers. And most of the brothers in verse 14, they become confident to share, share the word, to speak the word, the gospel. Well, the word for brothers here in verse 14 in the Greek has gender to it and number. And case, I believe, is the the three. But gender and number, that means brothers is a masculine word. It could be masculine or feminine. That's the gender of it. Is this a masculine ending? It's how the, the, we don't really have that in English. We just have a brothers, plural. We know that. So it's a masculine word with a... uh, either a singular, like one, brother, or brothers, plural. Okay, so masculine, plural, that's the brothers. If you then go down to verse 15, and you've got, in your Bible, it's just going to say some. Uh, verse 15 starts, mine start with some. It could be the word certain ones. Guess what gender it is? It's masculine. Guess what number it is? It's plural, masculine, plural, some indeed preach Christ. And then you've got, maybe yours says others, or it's kind of, again, certain ones. So there's certain ones doing this, and there's certain ones doing that. And then before verse 14, in the context, they're brothers, they're masculine, plural. And so there's, I believe, a connection here. I think he's referring Paul to fellow believers. As hard as that is, and, and we'll try to seek to understand that, that, that these believers would envy and rival Paul and want this adversity to come on him. But I think contextually, we go, okay, I think I see that. And that's what some of the commentators bring out. Now, there's another one. Another commentator argues that the content that they're preaching Christ was a sound preaching. It's, it's not that they were preaching necessarily heresy. As Paul refers to them as preaching Christ. And so it's not like they're preaching a different gospel such as unbelieving Jews, they're preaching a gospel. They're preaching Christ. And so this commentator, and I think Paul's not endorsing a a heretical preaching here. He's just saying both groups, they preach Christ, but they they have far different motives in what they're doing. Now, there's other other ideas on these people. I won't get in. I don't understand them all. Uh, One is interesting. Perhaps there's some, and this is, again, from other commentators, some thought Paul's suffering discredited the gospel so he's there in prison and it discredited the gospel it it spoke it didn't speak well of the gospel that he was in prison here's what the commentator says says they have a a rival this group maybe this group who it was they have a rival missionary strategy that excels in power and glories in success 
in a way parallel with other religious teachers in the ancient world. And what he's saying, in other words, because Paul is suffering in prison, it makes either God or the gospel, maybe you could combine them, just it makes it look weak and powerless. Can you see it? I mean, we could see, well, what kind of gospel is that? He's in prison. And so maybe perhaps to this group, they said, Paul's in prison. He's showing a weak gospel. He's not, this is discrediting it, that sort of thing. They envision the gospel as being of, of strength or power or success and not suffering. Just a side note, are you ever tempted to think that way of the gospel, to look at it this way? I mean, we, we preach a strong gospel because we have a strong Savior, and maybe we think we should look more powerful than we are. I was listening, we were elders, we were watching somebody this week brought up 2 Corinthians and 4. Talks, Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So here's the, Paul in prison, the gospel looks kind of weak, or your life, these failures, and you go, I'm just so weak, and that's kind of the point that we say God gets the glory who does the, the saving. Well, that's one option of who these people are. Um, that same commentator, I, I think how we sort all that specific out, Paul doesn't really give us that, but I think we could say they're fellow believers based on that context, what we looked at. Here's what the one commentator, Ralph Martin, says. Christians, uh, they, about these people, Christians who bore no love for the apostle personally, who were anxious to see him remain in prison, and who intended to make that imprisonment as galling and irksome as possible. Christians. Another commentator says, it seems clear that it was made up of people who opposed Paul out of personal animosity and rivalry. I imagine if Paul wanted to, he could have made this clear. He could have been more specific for us. Just who was it preaching Christ with these poor motives of envy and rivalry? But, but he doesn't. He doesn't give us that specific here. So the exact identity, again, it's unknown, but here's what we can conclude. I think we can conclude this opposing group was made up of believers. They preached Christ, and yet... They opposed or seemed to oppose Paul to envy him. They saw him as competition, and then they even wanted harm on him. So Paul's focus, though, that it's really not on identifying these people, is it? It's more motive-based. He doesn't identify, but he's exposing motives of these groups because he's doing something different. He's not just saying, look at how bad they are. Why don't you go after them and get after them? It's look at the motives and then as we're looking at, what's the end goal? What's Paul trying to say here? And so this leads us to question number two. So who's Paul talking to? Well, we didn't answer specifically, but it seems like fellow believers, both groups. But then the question here, what motives are at play? What's the motives of this group? And, and we have these two groups, and we'll just label them. If we label them fellow believers, but one, this motivation of self, Seems like self, envy, rivalry, this sort of thing. And, and the other motivated by love, goodwill, it says. So what motives? Just looking at these motives a little bit, um, we're going to look at those with good motives a little later, but let's just look at the, those with envy. Thinking of these words here, it's just good to think through 
What's envy? What's rivalry? These sorts of things. Envy. Another word could be jealousy. To envy is to want what someone else has. To envy. And I think in a, in a similar way, the word rivalry, that's, that's the word Paul uses. He uses it in verse 15, and then it's verse 17 as well. He uses the same rivalry. We could say even maybe selfish ambition. There's self. That's why I say motivated by self. I think there's self throughout this. We think of rivalries. They bring to mind competitors, Vikings, Packers, or Vikings, or Bears for the Pack, you know, whatever. Those rivals. We think of that rivalry. Think of sibling rivalry, those competing things. If we go back to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, here's how he defines it. He defines it as competition, a strife or effort to obtain an object which another is pursuing as rivalry in love or an endeavor to equal or surpass another in some excellence or emulation. Basically, we are so much for our team and we are so much against your team. There's a rivalry and a competition. I think we can see that in these people. Their competitor is Paul. Why would you compete with Paul? But here they are. And so I think, I think at a heart level, in terms of, uh, of motive for these preachers of Christ, we could say their motive is not Christ. Okay? They may be preaching Christ, brothers, however that, that works, but their motive is not the exaltation of Christ. It's rather the exaltation of self. I think you could say envy says, I want something. Rivalry seems to be the pursuit to get it. And it leads, in verse 17, to desiring harm on the apostle Paul. Look at verse 17. He's talking about the former. So the former is those he mentioned first, those that preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. So verse 17, the former, the former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They don't have pure motives. They desire Paul's harm. It literally, they're supposing to bring trouble, uh, supposing to bring up trouble by my chains. It's like a battle of churches to the extreme. And their envy and rivalry leads them to desire a fellow brother's affliction. They may preach Christ, but their gospel is messed up. But there's another group. It's that good will group, those with good desires, and we see a little bit more of them. So Paul kind of introduces these two, and then in 16 and 17 kind of lays out a little bit more about these groups. So verse 16 then is these are the good guys. These are the ones out of goodwill. And verse verse 16 uh, says, The latter do it out of love. They preach Christ, that is, out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. These are the ones they preach out of love. And I think, I think we could say, obviously, there's a love for Christ. There's a love for the gospel. And specifically here, there's a love for their brother in chains. And it's, it's an abounding love. Remember, we read that, verse 9, my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge. And all discernment. Here we've got this verse. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. 
These goodwilled brothers, they are truly partners in the gospel. And they love that Paul, I think, would defend the gospel all the way to chains, to prison. And so out of love, knowing, even, knowing why Paul's in prison, they have boldness and confidence and they move forward to preach Christ with that love motivation. That's some about them and their motives. And apart from bad motives, good motives, we come back to the last verse and really the last question then of this little section. And the question is, what truly gives Paul reason to rejoice? We could probably fill in for us maybe, what gives us reason to rejoice in a church setting, in our lives? What's our reason for rejoicing? Paul's reason goes beyond the motive of the one preaching. He is past that. He goes beyond it, and he's focused on the who, the W-H-O, the who of what they preach. They preach Christ. He rejoices. Look at verse 18. What then? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, he's kind of formulating those two again, right? Pretense or truth. Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Only in every way, Christ is proclaimed. And As we said last week, it seems, and we're going to see it next week again, just Paul has this, this laser focus on Christ. That's where he's looking. And we want, maybe preachers, we want a polished delivery. We want pure motives. We want everything laid out in nice order. Paul wants Christ proclaimed, even if it means personal harm to him. So the who here is greater than the how it's done. Who and who is proclaimed must come before how it's proclaimed. And I think when we live in such a way that that Christ is our goal, to live as Christ, as he's going to say here in verse 21, to live for to me, to live as Christ, to die as gain. When we live in that way, then our motives, our actions, our relationships, they're set in order. When we get it flipped and backwards and we're worried about method and how, we've got the wrong thing in our in our target in our uh, scope. Look in the wrong place. It's not to say we don't need to care about how we do things and how we approach and how we speak, but it's putting Christ first. So Paul here, he's not living based on how the mission's going. He's living based on who the mission is proclaiming, Christ himself. Again, we can just easily focus on the how. Is is this working? Are we preaching the right way? Is is the gospel appealing? Some other examples. Do we need better lighting? Uh, do we need some smoke on the stage? I mean, just, just, you know, we can fill ourselves with, with hows of things, how we do things, all those sorts of things. Am I saying it rightly? Uh, even in your, like in your personal witness to somebody preaching Christ, we can worry. I got a, I don't know, we talked about there's an order and then there's scripture, and we can just, we can worry about the how instead of just, just doing it and proclaiming Christ. I think that's the goal. That's, Christ, that's Paul's goal here. And so even in that, I think it should give us encouragement to proclaim Christ for us on good days when we got it all down. We got the, 
yeah, I remember, you know, the Romans road or whatever you use to remember. I can draw on the napkin and the cliff and the, all these sorts of things. Or we can't remember anything, but we know that they need Christ because he saves from sin. And so we preach Christ. I think you could hear Paul in the stands going, go, go, preach Christ. There's a sense. So here the sense. It matters. Do we speak? You know, are we gruff? All those things, they matter. But it's for Paul, what matters most is Christ being proclaimed. A couple thoughts on this as we, as we close. Just how some practical, and we've been talking about a few practical things already, living this out in our lives. I just, you know, write down a couple practical thoughts as we think about what does this look like that, that, that Christ is proclaimed and that's what we rejoice in. I think number one is we need to pray, as verse 9 has said, we need to pray for abounding love with knowledge and discernment. So pray for abounding love with knowledge and discernment. We need to discern, because we're even in this passage, we need to discern in our day, in Paul's day, what, what is in fact, what's false preaching of Christ as opposed to simply bad motives? Uh, and I think having a heart of love with knowledge, with discernment, is going to help us out by God's given knowledge and discernment. Thinking, what I'm thinking of here is denominationally, even in our, in our day, in our current culture. Some, some denominations, they differ regarding, regarding areas of gospel-minded Christians. And they can disagree about things, and, and they differ, but they're, they're essentially gospel-minded, holding fast to the Word. But some denominations, they make a deliberate U-turn from Scripture as it relates to in our day departing from calling homosexuality sin or abortion or, I mean, any number of things, the role of women in preaching or leadership in the church or the authority of Scripture or preaching a gospel of prosperity for the here and now. How do we discern? We need a heart to discern with knowledge and discernment false teaching versus poor motives. So I don't think Paul here in this section that we should come away and saying he's endorsing all such churches. Paul's not having this kind of kumbaya moment here saying can't we all just get along. I think, and that's where the context of all Scripture. Paul would say elsewhere to Titus to appoint leaders who do what? They hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that this leader may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So they're, they're, Paul is concerned about sound doctrine. Uh, or Galatians 1, 6-9 speaks of the gospel here. So Paul's intent on the right gospel being preached, here's what he says in Galatians 1. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Pretty strong words of Paul. So Paul, back in Philippians, he's not promoting a type of 
fake unity just built around, and, and I want to understand and this rightly, not built around unity itself as the highest goal. Not unity as the highest goal. Where Christ is the highest goal, the unity, I think, will follow. It's not, it's not the other way around. I think many denominations in our day, they're replacing Christ and His Word as the priority in, in an effort to show the world that the church we're unified, or unified entity, focused on, on what brings us together. Some of what brings them together is really the absence of gospel truth, absence of a call that we are sinners, or God's judgment for sin, or Christ's substitutionary atonement on the cross. That he really did take on sin, the wrath of God on the cross, or the truth of God's word, and so forth. Now that's some, but but positively, that we can say well, negative culture, but some. There are organizations, I mean, I'll just mention a couple, but they're not the only ones. Think of the Gospel Coalition or Together for the Gospel, that, that they're gathering different denominations around the truth of the Word, the truth of the Gospel. And so that's a positive way that that's taking place, and yet they're different denominations within that. So I don't think this passage, in, our, in a, just the first practical sense, it's not to water down sound, sound doctrine, but I think to say to brothers, brothers in the Lord, whether it's good-willed motives or motives of envy, if Christ is being proclaimed, we can rejoice in that. That takes some discernment and humility to say, okay, Christ, is be, this is not how I would do it. This is, looks terrible but Christ is being proclaimed. Number two then, maybe, maybe closer, I don't know, closer to our own hearts, is a tendency in ourselves basing some application from this passage to compare church to church and how prone we can be to maybe look at other churches, maybe with envy or rivalry, compare how we're doing, and, and that can lead us in two different ways. It can lead us to pride or to despair a pride that says well we've got this and this going on and look who's coming here that church only has a few cars out front we have more and it can lead to this kind of this packers vikings rivalry but the other side is also wrong a despair look at what that church has going on man they got more cars out there whatever it is you look at look at what they have they have smoke on the st- whatever it is. Okay, we can get caught up in that trap of comparison rather than rejoicing in Christ. And I thought of an illustration this week as I was sitting and thinking. That just kind of brought home: Do I really live this out and live out the truths of what Paul? Paul did not care the motive; he wanted Christ proclaimed, proclaimed. And I thought it'd be like. Uh, somebody, let's call him a revival preacher, comes to Leroy. You can pick your town, but we'll pick Leroy because that's where we're, this church and building, but we're located, we gather here. And let's say a revival preacher comes to town, it's just illustration purposes, and we check him out, man, the guy's got, he's solid gospel. He's talking about sin, he's talking about all these things. He comes to town and doesn't ask us, but goes to the park down over here and sets up a tent 
probably in the summer, not in the winter, but sets up a tent and starts having revival meetings and proclaims Christ in, in the, this town. And he doesn't ask anything of us as a church. There's nothing there that says, Bethany put this on. Nothing at all connected with it. And people start coming, and they start coming to know Jesus. And there's repentance. And there's faith. True, true faith. Not a, not a fake, you know, come to town, fake thing. I'm just saying a true gospel preacher. And this town is revived for Christ. And we had nothing to do with it. There's no mention of the word Bethany or any of us. At that point, would we go, yes, I want that. I don't care if it has our name on it. To me, maybe for you, it's a different illustration. I think it brings through our true motives. Do I want my name associated with this work or am I really focused on the Savior with no regard to my name, to any any of that? It's Christ. I think that's, what, that's where Paul's at. Inflict harm on me. Don't mention us. All those sorts of pride-demolishing things. And we say, if, if he's proclaiming Christ, then, we're, then let's celebrate. And I think that's, that's an area of conviction for us, but to, to kind of help us know where we're at. Are we happy about Christ being proclaimed, whether or not we were, we were part of it? We need God's grace to be led to Christ, to glory in him, and not us. So that's two, tendency, compare church to church, and just we want to celebrate Christ. And then, and then three, um, <laughs> very practical, do this. Proclaim Christ. Speak of him. Go do this. That we would preach, we would preach the holiness of God. We would preach our sinfulness, our redemption in Jesus and call men to repentance, that we would preach Christ, and that we would not spend the majority of our time, as we can, possibly, in critique, looking at all the other methods. That's, that's not good. That won't work. Tried that. All these sorts of just kind of looking at all these things instead of actually going and doing the thing that Paul rejoices in, and that is proclaiming the gospel, getting out there. And we can take heart your brother or sister in the Lord, and take heart. Whether it's by terrible motive or you've got a goodwill motive, we can and we must go and make disciples and proclaim Christ. Again, it's by God's grace it's that our love for Christ would grow and grow, so we're compelled to say, you must know this news, this news that I have that says, I'm weak I've not been made powerful only but that in Christ His power is working through me that I may glory in Him and share Him with a lost world beginning in your specific sphere of influence. Some of you live here in Leroy. Some of you live in other places. We could go through the towns and the countries and the neighborhoods where you live to begin praying, Lord, who would you have me proclaim Christ? Not because of... And courses are good. How to do evangelism, all those sorts, they're good. And read the Scripture and study and know. But just, I think Paul would say, just go. Go with that message. Make Christ your goal and proclaim Him, whether you got it all perfectly down or not. Let me pray for you.
Father, we're praying because I would ask for a work that our own flesh and pride cannot do that would say we can rival other, maybe other churches, other people. How many did, yeah, what are you doing? All those sorts of things, so on and so forth. Father, I just pray for a heart for each one of us. We would be so impassioned that we could say alongside Paul and say, I don't care if I die, I don't care if I live, it's Christ. That's what I want. I want Jesus, my Savior, my Redeemer. Take everything else, take take the accolades, take anything. And I want Christ to be known because we glory, because we worship you, dear Jesus. We thank you that by your power of the Spirit, you're working us. You're shedding off the scales of pride and self and poor motives that would harm others. Lord, may that not be true of this body that gathers here. Lord, even that we would pray for one another and pray that so-and-so could preach to so-and-so and pray that your gospel would be proclaimed and go out from here as, as Mild and others talked about today that this light would shine on cloudy Minnesota days. It's the light of Christ. You've come. So fill us with that. We pray for your power. We pray that we would be students of your word, drawn to you, to know you, and cherish you, and then to make your power and your glory made known. pray this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.